Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. We're back with another one of our target candidate interviews. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Bobby Dean. Now, Bobby Dean is our candidate for Carl Shalton and Wallington. Hi, Bobby. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and before we crack into the interview, we just want to give a very polite reminder to all our listeners and viewers to do hit that like button, do comment on everything. Are you going to come and help Bobby? Have you been inspired by what he's said? Because we want to beat the algorithm gods and make sure as many people can watch and listen to this podcast as possible. Uh, so, Bobby, do brilliant to hear from you. Brilliant to con- firstly congratulations on your selection. How was that? Was that a, was that an interesting uh, time for you? Thank you. Yeah. Um... It was definitely interesting. Um, I was off work for the selection process, so it was pretty intense. Um, really competitive campaign, lots of good candidates. Everybody was knocking on doors and delivering leaflets and making phone calls. And the hustings was good fun. We had over 100 people at hustings. So it was virtual, um, of course, because we weren't sure where the rules were going to be at that time. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. And obviously, I was happy with the result as well. And I think one of the things that does show is that when you have a very competitive uh, kind of selection process, it shows actually the party's really going for this seat. Um, and we're also going to talk about uh, Tom Brake and and how we want to take back this seat. But it, it does show actually that there's, a, there's, there's life for a fight in Carsholton and Wallington. Yeah. And do you know what? It was really good for like waking all the membership up again because yeah. we had that general election defeat in 2019. Um, shortly after that, we had the pandemic hit and, you know, the membership, you know, had a long break from full throttle campaigning. So it was quite good to just get out there again and make people feel excited for the future again and, yeah. and the next fight rather than sort of thinking about either the past or the, the, the sort of fairly depressing present we've had for the last year and a half or so. And I suppose it's important, boy, just to let people know for our listeners who are in, you know, from around the world or, or the rest of the UK, actually, where is Carsholton? And Carsholton is a southern suburb of London. It's almost directly south from the centre. So you've got Croydon uh, to the east, and then you've got kind of, uh, is it, is it, it's, well, you're part of Sutton Council, aren't you? So you, you, yeah. you're very in that kind of southern, not quite southwest part of London that the Lib Dems have had traditionally quite a lot of strength. Yeah, I think it is important to make that dis- distinction about it not being quite southwest London, though. I think people see that we've got a cluster of seats in, say, Kingston and Richmond and Twickenham and then see what we used to have in Sutton as maybe being similar. But there are quite a lot of differences. Um, I've got a much more sort of mixed community here in Carshalton and Wallington, um, sort of different income levels, different class. Um, and we were, of course, a Leave voting borough and both constituencies voted to leave. That's dramatically different to some of those other ones in the sort of southwest London seat. So I think it's important people know that we have got a long and proud history here in Sutton. We've run the council for over 30 years, um, but it is sort of slightly different in in the makeup of the seat to some of those other sort of southwest strongholds that we've got. And it's interesting. Again, we're going to talk about a little bit about this later, but um, you were talking about campaigning, getting back into gear. I think you've got council elections next year as well. So these are it's a really important time for that whole area. And you being the, the PPC is, will be an important driver for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the May election is absolutely crucial. As I said, we run the council over 30 years. If we win this time, we'll go into our 40th year. And that's actually quite a difficult election to run. We've been an incumbent for a long time. You know, um, opposition campaign can sometimes be easier because you, you just sort of argue for change. Um, and here we've got to kind of keep everybody remembering the reasons why they like having a Liberal Democrat um, run council. 
And of course, like we have lost bigger figurehead in Tom Brake previously on the Sutton side, Paul Burstow as well. They have a huge amount of personal vote. I, I've got to go and earn back that personal vote all over again. So it's going to be a tough election that's coming up next year. But we're and, hopeful and I, that we can we can get through it. Yeah, and I mean, we might as well talk a little bit about Tom Great break and allow you to do a little bit of a tribute because I, I didn't see that loss coming. And he didn't lose. I'm just going to get my figures up now, but he, he only lost by 629 votes. So I, I was surprised that he lost. I, 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 don't, I, think, I don't think the Tories were particularly expecting to take it either because Tom was one of the, was one of the survivors of coalition. Um, and, and so we thought, okay, well, he's clearly embedded in there. Um, so obviously really important now that we, we, we want to bounce back, don't we? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the last few elections that Tom went through in 17 and 15, they were very close as well. Um, this was very close again. As I said, given the campaign that we ran in 2019 and the way in which our sort of borough vote in the referendum, I think it's actually a credit to Tom that he kept it that close. You know, you know, we ran, we ran a campaign that was kind of against that in, in some form. So, um, yeah, I think he did fantastically well. I think he's still really well respected. Knocking on doors now, you still get people that say, well, I voted the other way, but I'm really glad Tom's gone. Mm. And like, I kind of wish that we could have someone like Tom back. And I guess that's my pitch to the election, really, that I want to carry the torch for Tom. He was such a community champion. I mean, we hear this a lot in the Liberal Democrats, right, about real local champions. But almost every door you knock on, someone's got a story about how they've been helped or someone in their family's been helped by Tom. Um, so, yeah, just needed to kind of carry the torch with Tom now, really. Well, Let's 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 introduce you to start with now. Okay, so who is Bobby Dean? And what should our listeners and Lib Dems across the whole of the patch know about Bobby Dean? Um, where do I start? I could start from the beginning of my life, I, I guess. Um, so I did a sort of selection campaign video. And one of the things that I think people were sort of surprised to learn is that my parents had never voted. Um, I got into politics at a relatively young age, but it wasn't through the family. It was through a series of uh, accidents, really, I would say. Um, my dad's a scaffolder. My mum's a cleaner. I grew up in a council home. They're still in those jobs, still in that same council home that I grew up in. Um, I moved into the care of my grandparents at 15. Um, so I think that was the start of the turning point for me. Um, they kind of pushed education on me a bit more. I ended up having a really great teacher at sixth form level who got me into politics. And then I went on to study it. And then, then the rest from there was, was, was how I got into politics, really. So I think that stays with me in this party because I don't think an awful lot of people um, have that kind of working class grounded roots or, or still have connections to it. Sometimes people say, all oh, my grandparents were working class or my parents, you know, used to be, but they've kind of done well for themselves and they're now in better jobs and so on. My family are still there. And that's kind of the reason I'm still <laughs> in politics. You know, I, 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 I want better for them. They're approaching their retirement now. Haven't got assets to sit back on. Haven't got savings. Um, and I want to do. I want a better world for for them and my younger brothers and everything else. So yeah, that's kind of my story of coming into politics, really. So where did liberalism come into it? Because I mean, you, you're and I bet you, you've you've heard this before. Someone said, "Well, why aren't you in the Labour Party then? Why aren't you know you're from that from that background? Why did you choose liberalism over socialism?" Yeah, I've almost, I almost start to feel like it's a bit of a microaggression at conference, really. Like people <laughs> people pick up on your accent or hear about your story, and then they're kind of like, "So why are you a Lib Dem?" And it's like. Well, I mean, there's lots of good reasons that working class people should be in the Liberal Democrats. And I, I get quite annoyed that we don't think about it enough. For me, I came at it with no previous sort of views on parties. 
I joined the party in 2010, by the way, just prior to Clegmania. So it wasn't quite the Clegmania thing that <laughs> took me in. It was basically just looking at all the parties and what they offered. And liberalism seemed most sensible to me. But here's the thing. I think uh, in 2010, especially after years of new Labour, a lot of people were fed up of how much the government were on their back and, mm. and were, were, not, were not kind of supporting people to live, but were, were kind of crowding out people's lives. And I think I was never going to be conservative because they seem to sort of abandon working people. And if you do well, great, you're a working class hero. But if you don't, then, well, that's your own fault. And the Lib Dems seemed to be, to me, somebody that were interested in, in, in empowering you. You know, I wouldn't have used the word empowering then, but that, that, that's really what it comes down to. They, they want you to be able to thrive on your own terms. Yeah, and I, I always think of the, the Liberal Democrat ways saying that, you know, the Tories will always say, well, look at this one person. He's overcome the odds. You know, she has done brilliantly. She's overcome everything she had against her. But the Lib Dem thing is, OK, let's lessen those odds. What Don't make it an exception that people from a poorer background can achieve whatever they want. Let's make it the norm. That and that because and that's what liberalism is, is about freeing. Because like you, I came from a an incredibly working class. I came from a really deprived mining area in Cumbria. So the, again, people like us aren't the typical kind of Lib Dem front of house kind of faces. But you know, we should be. Yeah, I mean, and we were in the nineties. We were attracting a lot more of this vote. Um, and we've kind of forgotten that and retreated into a sort of more middle class them in some places. I'm hoping we're on our way back. I mean, Ed Donnelly's speech at the weekend was talking about putting families first and talking about parents. That's, that's you know, that's going to affect millions of people. We are talking about the way lower income people's wages have been hit by this um, tax rise most recently. So I think hopefully we're on our way back to that place. But yeah, I mean, we, we, lots of working class people in the country at the moment have currently gone to the Conservatives mm. because they feel that the Labour Party aren't for them anymore, culturally or whatever it is. They, they just don't get that vibe from from the Labour Party. So why can't they be coming to us before they find their way in the Conservative Party under their leadership? Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And, and a lot of that is probably to do with the Lib Dems have, have, in, in certain areas don't have enough presence. It doesn't look like Lib Dems are in the fight. And that's why wherever you are in the country, whether you're just one councillor in a council or whatever, you're just one campaigner, having that strong Liberal voice, even if it's just one of you, is really important. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterreigns.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. Can we just go on to, so you've talked about you studied politics, etc. Was there anything in particular that made because that made you think, right, I'm going to get active. This is the point now where this has happened. I want to get involved and make a difference. Um, probably not. I know that's usually the story. Someone had like, you know, it's the Iraq war or there was some sort of moment where they got into it. 
I think my passion grew and grew over time, really. Um, like I said, I was, I was studying it via teacher. And what that teacher made me realise was a lot of the things that I was upset about and thought was unfair. You know, there are people out there trying to do something about it. Um, and when I got to university, you start to learn a bit more how people start to think about things, you know, policies and so on. I think I've always had um, sort of economic social justice at the heart of that. Like, you know, why is it that my dad can work, you know, his balls off his whole life? Um, and my mum worked two jobs, you know, one during the day, one during the evening. And yet they don't get the same outcomes or even the same level of outcomes um, as other people that don't do nearly as much as that they inherit their wealth or they inherit great circumstances so I think that's always been a key drive for me that sort of uh, economic justice point um, and then sort of tied to that some of the things that keeps people trapped in poverty so for a long time I was passionate about um, drug policy reform and social justice system uh, and criminal justice system more broadly um, about how that becomes a trap for people once they enter prison for the first time or yeah th those sort of things are probably the early igniters for me. And so has there been anyone in particular that's influenced you either locally? I mean, I mean, we've mentioned Tom Brake, I don't know, but on your journey to get where you are now, what has been, who has been the main influences on you getting there? Yeah, so, I mean, I went to university at Goldsmiths, which is in Newcross, borough of Lewisham. So one of the first few people around me were people like Chris Maines and uh, Rob Blackie, um, who you may be aware of. Uh, they both run for London Assembly last time. Um, there was also... Uh, uh, party secretary there called Janet Hurst who took me under her wings and if anybody knows her she's full of voice at meetings and big inspiration but then of course next door we had Simon Hughes mm. um, and that was the target seat that we worked in and Simon very similar to Tom you know he was earning votes in working class neighbourhoods he was recognised for doing things for people getting things done never shying away from being about Liberal Democrat values but you know making sure that those Liberal Democrat values were accessible to everybody so, yeah, Simon uh, was a big inspiration to me as well. And I guess that's also why I've got a lot of respect for Tom. He's going to done it that way too. So moving on to the actual area now, again, lots of people don't know. So what, what, are, the, what are the best things about Carsholton? What, what, give us an idea of the, the area that you're hoping to represent. Yeah, I think it is the single best place to live in London. And I think the last reason that anybody might give against that has gone because of the way we're moving on in the world after the pandemic. So given that you only probably need to be in central London a couple of days a week now, that there is absolutely no excuse for not moving to the borough of Sutton. I mean, mm. we've got good parks, great schools. It's a more affordable place to live. Um, there, are so, there are river walks. There are good independent high streets. Um, it's got everything you would want. And still on the train into Victoria's sort of 25 minutes, you could cycle into central London if you needed to. Maybe you wouldn't want to do that five days a week, but I don't think you have to do that anymore. Um, yeah, it's just a really brilliant place to, to live. And I'm thinking about starting a family in the future. Not quite yet. I mean, we started this week with a puppy. <laughs> so it's going in small steps. Um, but yeah, and if you're at that stage of your life, then I think uh, it's just the best place to live in London. You get both best of both worlds. You've got access to the city, if you like, everything that goes on inside it. But you've got access to the quiet life here as well if you if you want it. Um, during, during lockdown, I mean, it was just an absolute godsend to be able to do all the river walks and walk around the commons and walk around the parks and just have that sort of space and peace of mind. 
So obviously we've talked about um, how Lib Dems have run the council for nearly 40 years. So how is that affecting what you can campaign on? Are there any, I mean, do you keep your campaigns kind of national? I mean, there's so many things you can campaign on with this incompetent government, but what are the big campaigns you're focusing on? Yeah, I mean, for me, we're, we're one team. They're not, they're not separate campaigns. You know, their good fortune is my good fortune. We are all the Liberal Democrats here in Sutton at the end of the day. So I'm very much part of same, same campaign. And over the next nine months, that is my focus. That is my priority, making sure that we keep control of the council. Um, there, there's ways in which I think, you know, voters don't necessarily vote on specifically local elections for a, for a local election. That You know, that's not the way people think. So there's ways that I can raise... Uh, things that are nothing to do with the council over the ne- next nine months that will help us in our council campaign. One example being the local hospital. Um, so anybody who knows Tom Brake will know that he campaigned for our local hospital called St Helia uh, for over two decades. Um, shortly after the Conservatives won the seat, um, our new Conservative MP basically signed off on the hospital losing its A&E services and losing its maternity services. Wow. Um, yeah, massive. And that's basically not really being spoken about by him. There is going to be some investment. I, 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 I wonder why. I wonder yeah, no, well, he, the, he, he, he's saying that he saves St. Helio Hospital because there's some investment going into it. But at the end of the day, it's losing two major services. There are now rumours coming down the track that a third service at the hospital is going to be lost as well. Each day diminishing the case for, uh, for the hospital. This hospital was located in uh, one of the more disadvantaged parts of the constituency. Um, you know, compared to other places in, in, in the borough. So the loss of that hospital will be huge. Uh, and I think it's my job to, to, to remind everybody exactly what he signed off on. Um, and even though, obviously, you know, the running of that hospital in the NHS isn't necessarily a local issue, I think it's an issue of trust that people should be aware of ahead of their next elections. And let's talk about your opponent. Has he been uh, particularly active? Is he someone that has really been pushing forward? Because like I said you had a real local champion and the Conservative MP is Elliot, Col- Elliot Colburn. Uh, again, not someone I could say from outside of London that I've particularly heard. Of. I know he's a councillor in the area as well, but I mean, it doesn't seem like he's particularly throwing his weight in, in behind the big issues in the area. Yeah, I mean... I'll start off by being fair. Like a lot of his terms been in the pandemic, quite difficult to establish yourself in that time. Um, I think his office only opened up a couple of months ago uh, mm. now. But I mean, even speaking of his office, other constituents come into our office saying they can't get hold of him because their office is always locked. So mm. it's not an open door policy. It might be for security reasons, but still, I think that is that is an issue of accessibility to him. Um, my frustration with him is not really talking on the big issues. Um, so. I think it's fair to say that he is commenting on local issues. He likes to comment on the council. It's probably a tactic of his, right, to try and do that. <laughs> I'll live them run council. Um, but on all the big issues that come up, I mean, Afghanistan was in the news cycle for weeks. He said mm. nothing. You know, this national tax rise, he's voted for it, but he hasn't said anything on it. You know, if you do support this tax rise, then why aren't you defending it? Um, takes no responsibility for what the national government is doing, but votes in line with them all the time. And at the end of the day, he has been elected to be our, our national representative, right? We're sending him to Westminster to represent us on national issues. And I, and, and I want to hear from him defending government policy, if that's what he, if he's voting for. And it's, we've said this before on, on the podcast that, you know, whether whatever you're elected, whether you're a parish councillor right the way up to, a, a, like, say, an MP in Westminster, remembering... The, the, which which way it goes. You are not Westminster's man in your area. You are your area's man in Westminster. And I think that's really key. And if he is 
acting, this sounds like a harsh criticism, as lobby fodder, basically not saying anything, voting the way the, Tor- uh, the Tory government wants, then he's not doing that. He's not being that voice that that area needs. Yeah, and the only clips I've seen him share of himself in Parliament speaking are when he's bashing the Lib Dem council. Yeah. Now, he's still a sitting councillor, but he's not turning up to full council meetings. I just think you're using the wrong forum. If you've got a seat at the council, turn up to full council meetings and have your criticisms in there to the faces of the people that you're criticising and, you know, be ready to hear something back from them. Don't go into the House of Commons where there's nobody there to defend that record. There's nobody from Sutton Liberal Democrats yeah. in that parliament at this time to, to argue against that and complain about the Lib Dem Council. That just feels really sort of sneaky and party political. And I'd, I'd rather him take more responsibility. If he wants to attack the council, that's fine. He's well within his rights to do that. Do it in the right forum. Because if he's one of the most powerful people in the area, being the MP for the area, then he can't sit back and complain. You know, he can make the difference. That's that's what you will, and that's if you were elected. That's what you'd. That's how you'd be different, isn't it? You would be there to make a difference, not just moan about the council. Yeah, and can campaign for for, for the difference as well. I mean, for instance, we're quite got quite poor transport links in our area. Um, I made I made the joke about Cheshire and Amersham, that sort of leafy. Mm. set of towns in Buckinghamshire having tube stops and we don't have tube stops in our borough of London, yeah. uh, London borough. Um, we've we suffered lots of cuts to our regular train services into London during the pandemic, some of which are back and some of which are never going to return. Now, Elliot might speak out about that, but it's, you know, it's his government that has cut the funding to TfL in the first place. <laughs> so is he going to criticise his government for cutting the funds to TfL or is he going to just say, oh, isn't this bad and sh- shouldn't someone do something about it? It's, and it's on him to really- do it. And that's really interesting for someone who's outside of London. So here in in the north or wherever, we look down at the London transport system and go, oh, if only look at the subsidy the transport system gets. We can't even get a bus. And they think, but actually, you know, it's not, it's easy to fall into these generalisations. And actually your patch shows exactly that, you know, you, you are struggling to get that connectivity that people need. Yeah. And I mean, actually, the, the thing about TfL is that it isn't subsidised as much. So because it generates so much fare revenue, Mm. Um, it's self-sufficient most of the time. That's the way the government likes it. Um, what happened during the pandemic is that nobody was using the tube. So the fair revenues collapsed and the system couldn't cope anymore. It was still being asked to run at pretty high levels of service because of the pandemic so that key workers weren't packing onto tubes as well. And that, that, that became a pretty difficult situation. The problem is that all happened on the brink of a London election. Yeah. So Sadiq Khan and Boris Johnson both used it as a political football uh, it suited Sadiq Khan to be in a fight with Boris Johnson. It suited Boris Johnson to be in a fight with Sadiq Khan. And London has lost out at the end of the day because we got a really crap deal, um, bailout deal, which wasn't anywhere near as generous as it was to other rail operators in the country. Um, and as a result, projects have got cancelled, lines have got cancelled. And as I say, it's like Londoners and travellers in London that have, have lost out. So as you are building up ready to get this fight going, because you know what, we're not a million miles away from a general election now. A lot of people saying it could be 2023. Personally, I think it's probably going to stay 2024 so they can do the boundary changes. But what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now in terms of the seat? Um, I I think it's about getting that team um, built to its full capacity and full motivation again. As I said, I really think like losing Tom was a big blow to, to the local area, to local membership, to all our supporters. And then that was followed by a sort of 18-month hiatus because of the pandemic. And that means that my task is now is to get that BIP team rebuilt again, firing on all cylinders. 
I mentioned earlier about Sutton being a great place to live. Come and live here. Come and join my team. <laughs> uh, seriously, if you're thinking about where, where should my next move be and you're renting at the moment in London, honestly, have a word with me after this because I think it's a brilliant place to live. Um, we are finding more support in the community again as well. You know, we've, we're going out door knocking specifically to recruit people like for delivery and so on at the moment and getting a really good response. We went out for an hour the other night and found three new people ready to deliver their street brilliant. for us. Um, so that's the big challenge at the moment, getting us back up to that that level that we know that we can compete. Because at the end of the day, the conservatives pay to get stuff done, right? Mm. You know, the, they might be doing some delivery by hand, but we know that stuff comes through our letterboxes that's been paid for. We can't compete with that all the time. You know, we're, we're a volunteer-run organisation. We don't have deep pockets of donors that, that, that conservatives have. And, and we saw that, I mean, just before the May elections where the Tories were desperately trying to buy, ban any sort of kind of campaigning by volunteers because they knew they had the pockets to do, you know, paid for direct mail or paid for delivery. And you, it was a blazing attempt just to stop Lib Dems campaigning. Yeah, exactly. They, they I mean, they, let's face it, the Tories have lost it for the best part of three decades. Yeah. Um, that's not a position that they're comfortable with, certainly not to the Liberal Democrats, Um you know, they might expect to lose to Labour in some places, but I think they actually hate losing to us here. Mm. Um, so I think they'll use any tactics they can to, to, to get themselves over the line. And what, what was interesting, if we look at the 2019 result, actually Tom Brake's percentage of the vote didn't shift. It actually went up a tiny amount as well. He still got 41.1% of the vote. But what happened was that Labour vote seemed to drop by... Six percent, and the and the Tory vote went up by four, and that's what took it over. Then, so what? What's? I mean, obviously, we talk a load about in campaigning about squeeze messages and everything else. But do you think there's a real opportunity that those Labour voters will think, well, we've got a Tory MP that isn't half as good as what Tom was, and you can squeeze them? Yeah, there is that. I mean, it's not a, it's not a straightforward anti-conservative squeeze here, right? As we saw in in the last election. Lots of people jump ship from Labour to Conservatives over Brexit, and some of them are not minded to go back. Um, I, I think that the way the government's popularity is plummeting, um, and Boris Johnson's approval ratings in particular going down, there are a lot of people that are starting to regret their last their last decision. And I think it's my job to remind them that that was a bad call, and actually we need the Liberal Democrats in to get rid of the Conservatives around here. So definitely, there's that squeeze message there, but I, I, I don't think it's a sort of uh, progressive alliance type thing because no. it's not a natural anti-conservative voter in many parts of this constituency it's it's people that are right in the sort of flux of politics at the moment and not quite sure where their home is and it will be interesting because we, we've talked about Cheshire and Amersham and we had Zoe Franklin on from Guildford who are both uh, you know both fairly affluent areas very pro-Remain you can imagine you know when you look at the party strategy that we've just we know these are the areas that should be ripe for Lib Dem conquest in, in 2019, uh, sorry, in 20, whenever the next general election will be. But you seem to have a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult for you. So how are you going to manage that challenge of messaging and things like that? Because, you know, Lib Dem sometimes struggle with, you know, we get the local vote, absolutely brilliant. But also when you're dealing with an MP, they want to know a little bit about your philosophy and, and, and liberal traditions and things like that. So how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, I mean, it is different to some of the other seats that we're going for, but I don't feel like there is a big attention between them as we think. So mm. there is dissatisfaction with this Conservative government all over the board. Yes. Some some from small C traditional Conservatives, but others from people that just feel let down by the decision that they made last time and how things have panned out. And one of the big things that Ed spoke about in his speech the other day was about small and local businesses. 
my constituency is full of tradesmen, full of self-employed people, full of independent shops. A lot of the people that work here work for themselves or work part of small businesses. I think that's brilliant ground for us that will appeal to people in, you know, leafy villages and people that are working people in, in towns like Carl Shelton. So um, I think that's great. And education, you know, is connected with every family. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're in a family in Chesham or a family in Carl Shelton. Um, talking about parents' involvement in education is going to be resonating in both places. So I think we, um, we we could make the mistake of looking at all our target seats and thinking, well, how's that going to work? But the messages that we're talking about delivering should resonate with a wider base. I, I think it's so important that we take advantage of this political opportunity we've got in the blue wall seats. Um, I think, you know, it, it'll be our party can only grow if we can take advantage of the, the, the political space that there is out there. But it's also equally important that we don't forget to continue to build seats like mine and, seat, and seats in other places where we've got really strong local voices and we can build out from there to become a broader movement once we've got the rest of the blue wall in the bag. So uh, I, I ask, I'm asking this of all candidates and it, some, of the, some people will have their campaign organised with them, which probably might give a different answer. But if you had 10 times the budget that you have right now, what would you spend it on? Oh God! Um, <laughs> so a bit pay delivery is an obvious one because um, it relieves some of the people that are currently putting stuff through letterboxes to go knock on doors because it's the most powerful thing we can do. Um, wouldn't be able to do it by a wide all the time, but you know we do we do it in the places where we're still building our networks. Um, digital advertising. Um, I've been big on that. I ran the London campaign's biggest ever digital ad campaign in the last election. I think that we need to do more of that. Um, both to you know get more get more emails and get people more aware of our brand in the local area. Uh, an extra staff member, if it, yeah. if it was ten times the budget, because uh, people organising and have the time to call volunteers up and have that personal contact people and and team build. So I said something at um, a speech to a local party event the other day that we sometimes trick ourselves into needing to build a campaign machine when actually what we need is a campaign team. And I think that all those personal bits, all those social things you can do, um, if you're delivering bundles of leaflets to deliverers, you know, make sure that you have a conversation with them. Don't leave it in their porch or outside their front door. Um, all of those things, they come with having the luxury of time. And if you've got more staff, I think you can do those things better. And one of the, one of the podcast's um, most popular episodes where we had three um, kind of cons constituency campaign organisers uh, from Scotland to to Oxfordshire, all over the place, and uh, they said, you know, the secret to a, a good success is a good team. And actually, yeah. if you're if you're micromanaging everything, then you're not doing it. You need a team that can do this and take the pressure because you know time is a valuable resource, and very few of us involved in politics are actually doing it full time. We're working full jobs, families puppies whatever else and uh, you know and that's one a key to success really and to grow in that team yeah definitely and and, and tied to that it's just i'm big on the social side of it so uh, we do a sort of a friday delivery power hour after after the our office closes and then go for a beer on sunday mornings we're going out camping and we organize a lunch afterwards um and right down to when you're out on the street campaigning like the temptation is sometimes to split up. You do that side of the road, I do this side of the road. Someone else go do the cul-de-sac around the corner. I'd much rather us all progress down the street together because we have to chats in between the doors. Okay. We talk about the good doors. We talk about bad doors. That might be slightly more inefficient. 
maybe maybe you're locking on 10 15 less doors but i guarantee more people will come back next time so yeah. i'm kind of kind of quite big on focusing on that and richard kemp who's obviously one of our uh, podcasts in, in liverpool just said you got to remember you've got to keep this fun otherwise people just drift away and it's and actually leads me to the to the question i was about to ask was about how you manage manage sorry that work-life balance you know because you're in for a a good old chunk of activity now you, you work full time you've got other commitments how are you getting that balance and how do you keep yourself energized uh, i'm getting the balance poorly at the moment we had a little <laughs> chat just before we started this um what happened was uh, uh like during the pandemic i was fortunate enough to be one of these people that could save a bit because you know we're stuck at home i was still earning my wage i wasn't on furlough or anything like that um and that got me through the sort of selection process um, so I was able to take time off work to do that. At the moment, I work freelance. I'm trying to build my client base back up. So while I don't have a lot of client work on, I'm probably doing too much on the on the candidate side, which is of course unpaid. I don't think everybody remembers that. You know, even in the top target seats, you're not paid to be a candidate. Um, so I'm currently trying to redress the balance and get a bit more paid work back into my life because I need to because I need to pay the bills. Um, and I also made a mistake last week of getting a puppy no he's not a mistake but um <laughs> i've suddenly realized it's not as uh, easy as you think it would be getting up in a night three or four times to 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 get, let him go out for the loo and stuff like that so yeah i'm kind of in a bit of a flux in my life at the moment but oh look there's your this, your is, the, dog. this is the one with dogs he, he must have heard me mention puppy people <laughs> podcast we are, we've, we're looking after my brother-in-law's dog and so he's coming to see what's going on my dog is asleep he he, he gets the score he's just passed out upstairs so, um, I'm you know. getting there. My, my plan is to basically be doing enough freelance work to get me by and give myself enough time to commit to as many hours as I can to campaigning outside of that. Uh, I, I've got to get the balance right. I ha- I'm not there yet. And I think it's, it's fair to say, I think everybody struggles with this once they get into positions where they could potentially win elections, that it's very difficult to get the balance right between your personal, professional and political life. Yeah, absolutely. So... When you do, I mean, you've talked about Tom Brake uh, and, you know, the disappointment of losing that, you know, actually, and the 2018 elections were not the best um, for the Sutton Council. We did lose a, a, um, some seats. So how do you then keep yourself energised in terms of if you do get in ruts? Because we all do, you know, there's no there's no point pretending we're all superhuman and that we just wake up with Lib Dem energiser batteries in us and want to just go out straight away. We do have times where we just think, oh, man, back out again. So how do you keep that energy going? Um, well, we're at the start of a new cycle now, so that's a good feeling, right? New candidate in place. Um, the pandemic does feel like it's starting to move behind us now. I'm not saying it's over, but it, we, we have got that to help us like sort of start the new chapter. But there's no more motivation you need than what you see on your telly every day, right? This Conservative government. I mean, honestly, the decisions that they're making again and again and again that fire you up in the belly and just be like, how are they doing this? I mean, the... We talk about education, having their own advisor say that they need 15 billion and then coming back with a small percentage of that just says that we don't really care about the future of kids in this country. And the reason why is obvious. It's because they don't have a stake in it because most of the cabinet went to private schools. Most of the kids that they're familiar with will be the ones that will be all right. And it's people in, you know, lower income families who are, who are struggling to occupy their kids during lockdown and so on, are going to come out worse than this. And they, they, that's kind of baked in for them. You know, a quality of opportunity for children is not a priority of conservatives. Um, so, yeah, you know, things like that motivate you in on themselves. 
So we're, we're going into a hypothetical future world here where Bobby Dean is emperor of, uh, of Britain. What's one policy you could introduce like that tomorrow? Oh, God. I feel like this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to have to ask you to edit it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a good question. Uh, Where do I want to go first? I feel like something around criminal justice reform is where I'm at the most. I mean, this will also require, I think, a big change in the way the public looks at how we deal with crime as well. So it's kind of, it's probably not a law or policy I could introduce tomorrow, but a much more rehabilitative approach to criminal justice system that understands the situation that people have got themselves into to commit a crime, but also understands that if we don't want them to commit a crime again, there's a pathway to achieving that. And actually punishment being the primary purpose of the criminal justice system is not the way to achieve that. So if we want a better society for everybody, not just for those individuals that have committed crimes, it's not about empathy for the for the perpetrators. It's about a better society for everybody. We need a criminal justice system that's far more rehabilitative. Yeah, um, and I think just you know, I think if you speak to Lib Dem activists across the country, you are seeing it now. This kind of reactive rather than proactive approach to 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 policing and the criminal justice system, where we are not you know copying what Tony Blair said, you know, the, wanting to call it the causes of crime as well. That has very much disappeared. It just seems to be lock them up, lock them up longer, and somehow that will be, you know, the answer. Where well, we all know, we've seen it from across the world and different things, that isn't, the, that isn't the solution to crime. The crime is stopping those issues from developing, and then when they're actually, and, and then as part of the punishment or the sentence actually getting rehabilitation as a vital cognitive. So they don't, so reoffending rates come down because we have shocking reoffending rates in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. And this is in no way soft, by the way, it's actually the harder route. It's much, much harder to, 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 to change somebody to, to put them on the right track for the benefit of everybody than it is to just uh, lock them up. So this is the tough way through. And I think we just need to be brave enough to, to take on that responsibility. And it's also, it's not, also people say, oh, rehabilitation, that's going to cost loads. But actually the cost of keeping people in jail for the going through the process over and over again as they reoffend in jail, reoffend, that is far more expensive to the taxpayer than actually dealing with the crux of the issue right at the start. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I, I also ask uh, one of my, all, all these people, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to shout about yourself? Uh, about myself no I, I mean I will put that big open offer for everybody to move to the bar- borough of Sutton uh, once even again. northerners and, yeah even e- even northerners we'll take them too okay, uh, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> no. yeah, I, I presume you mean north of the Thames right or, yeah no yeah that must be it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, is that now the new north we, I always thought it was Birmingham but no that's <laughs> well my, my my granddad is from uh, my dad actually are both from Tottenham and the, when, when they knew that I was living south of the river they used to joke about me in the passport to cross the Thames and stuff. So <laughs> there's a bit of that. Um, yeah. And if you want to get involved remotely as well, you know, you can do that. Um, I've heard about other people that have been elected to parliament in our party that had their caseworkers operating out of Durham mm-hmm. um, during the London campaigns. So our, li- our literature designer, art worker, who's based in Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to get involved in my campaign, if you want to help me get elected to parliament, please get in touch because um, we need your support and it would be really appreciated. And where can people find you online? Um, well, they can just send me an email, which is info at bobbydean.co.uk or find me on Twitter. 
which is at Bobby underscore Dean. And you also have a website as well, which is bobbydean.co.uk. And we like we said to I mean, we want people like you you to be elected. There's no, there's no you know, the Lib Dems have got to get a, or get away from like the 11 MPs that we've got at the moment. We need a big bump. And for people like you to win is absolutely key to that. So if you can help in person and get there, perfect. Like you said, if you can do some backroom stuff, brilliant. That's now available to us or you can donate money i take it all those things would be an absolute delight to you yeah exactly all three of those things if you can or, or one of them is great Brilliant. and well i just want to finish this by saying thank you so much bobby for coming on it's been a real real pleasure uh talking to you and getting to know the air getting to know you and uh open invitation anytime you want to come back on the podcast and talk about this or any any issue that comes up you're always welcome but on behalf of everyone i just want to say thank you and uh Good luck and go get them. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Really enjoyed it. And yeah, I'll come back another time soon. Great stuff. And to all our listeners and viewers out there, you can follow, like I say, you've seen all the links for Bobby. I'll put them in the show notes as well. So you can all uh, get involved if you want to, or just learn more about Bobby and our other target candidates. You can follow everything to do with the Lib Dem podcast at, at Lib Dem Pod. My name is John Potter. You can follow me at, at John Potter LD. Thank you so much for listening. I say do hit that like button, do comment, do share it around as well. The more people know about our fantastic candidates, the more people we're going to get to help them out. So thank you very much for watching. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be back with another episode very soon.